Hey everybody, welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. Yes, I'm back this week for this long-form episode. We promised everybody, and we did have a lot of feedback going into this conversation with Koala. Uh, and we also had some technical difficulties, unfortunately, but we were able to get it done. So Koala and I hash out a number of topics, everywhere from the big moves that the major metals producers are making globally. We even seen news out of Saudi Arabia taking a chunk out of Valet recently. We talked all things lithium and an important news item that should be upcoming here if we haven't already had it <laughs> by the time this airs. And then we talk about building big things in the West. So cover a lot of ground here with Koala. Special thanks to Fireweed Metals, Arizona Sonoran Copper, and Western Copper and Gold for their support to the podcast. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave a review, hit that subscribe, hit that like button, anything you can do on both the YouTube channel and the podcast network where you get these episodes. I'm Trevor Hall. Hope you had a wonderful week. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. All right, everybody, welcome back into Mining Stock Daily in this week's long-form episode, potentially to be a very long episode, because I have booked a total of two hours on the schedule here with the one, the only, uh, a, a, a fan favorite here on the podcast, the koala himself. Koala, welcome back. Good to be back, Trevor. Good to be back. How are you? How have you been up there in the uh, in the eucalyptus tree? How's this? How's the how's how's the weather? Sweaty, hot, humid. <laughs> so much vibrant energy. Nobody nobody wants to cuddle with you when it's this hot. It has been lonely lately. It's been a lonely <laughs> year. I must go. I must go travel the world and seek out companions and friends and ideals. <laughs> You must go where the geology is, Trevor, and it's not going to be in Westchester County. And uh, frankly, after all this uh, <laughs> premium flow-through neurology junk up in uh, Canada, is there even going to be a point in drilling a single hole in Ontario or Quebec for the next 20 years after 2025? I don't think so. <laughs> if it's yeah, there, you know, we're going to find it. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're obviously we're going to talk a lot about lithium and lithium equities on the Canadian markets here in due time. I got to tell you though, uh I was really impressed personally with an interview I did with Francis McDonald of Lift Power last week and he broke down some numbers uh, for me literally about kind of the the general incentives of exploring for lithium and how much less of a uh, drilling that you need to really complete in order to get a, those technical reports out for I was astonished. I had no idea. And Francis just has this really great uh, way of communicating some of those those data points. I, I was one way. But let's table that because we're going to talk a lot about lithium. I know there's, you got to get some things off your, your little koala chest. So, <laughs> All right. Let's talk first. I'd like to pick up where we left off last time. Uh, I think it's been a couple of months since you're on. But th this year, we have talked a lot about that Tech Glencore acquisition merger. And it's really gone kind of quiet here lately, Koala. Not much news. Uh, what do you take of this? What's happening? Well, I think the RE Gold line, silence is golden. Um, 
rings true here. Um, the tech board has and management have acknowledged that they've engaged with Glencore and Glencore is able to bid for just the coal business. Um, and look, I think if you're tech, we had some interesting news uh, come out overnight about the Saudis and Engine One uh, buying into Vale Base Metals at a 26 billion enterprise value, 13% for $3.4 billion. And if you think about Vale Base Metals, Vale Base Metals is 350 KT of copper a year, 175 KT of nickel per year. To have some fun with equivalents and some back in the envelope, lazy math, like nickel's a 20K commodity, copper's nine, maybe 10K. So let's just call 175 KT a nickel, about 350 KT a copper. So you're talking about a 26 billion enterprise value for a 700 KT uh, copper equivalent business uh, across Indonesia, Brazil, and Canada. Um, that's going to, according to the Volley News release, spend about $25, $30 billion over the next decade on growth projects, a very robust growth pipeline. So let's go back to what our dear friends in Vancouver uh, must be feeling right now. Tech is a $43 a share US uh, market cap, uh, share price, excuse me. 505 class B with class A's, let's call it 520, 520, 43. You're looking at a $22 billion market cap US, $4 billion of net debt. I mean, tech's a $26 billion enterprise value here today. And if you look at tech metals um, and you include QB2, you're looking at uh, over 600 KT of copper. QB2 has some minorities, but I've given no credit for the zinc at Red Dog. So Let's just call tech. It's it's at least a 600 KT copper equivalent uh, attributable business with uh, QB2 online, which it should be fully ramped up by the end of the year. So your tech, you're sitting there saying, I basically have, and of course, Project Satellite, you have a ton of growth projects, um, none of which are in Indonesia. And mm. well, I don't think the Saudis are as worried about that as uh, we might be uh, investing in Indonesia. And Grassberg's been a world-class mine for Freeport. But I look at that if I'm tech and I go, look, we were right to push back on Glencore because look, like we have something very similar to volley base metals, but we also have this coal business. Um, and I think it's important to recognize here that Glencore doesn't trade at the multiple of volley base metals. Um, tech doesn't trade <laughs> at this multiple. This is a very uh, unique situation where volley really didn't want to do this deal but they felt compelled because of the overall valuation of the company and they were able to be they were able to pick and choose and maximize tension there's clearly a private market strategic value for these things for cash for cash bidders that is uh much higher than what the public markets will pay and i think that's something that we have to acknowledge and it also kind of gives validity to what Glencore was saying, which is if we put our two businesses together, spin out the coal and create this base met diversified base metals major, um, we should get some sort of a re-rate. Um, but as it stands today, I think we have to now see what does tech decide to do with its coal business. Uh, I think there's only one pool of Western acceptable capital that can buy the whole thing. And that is the boys and girls from Zug and Barr. And I think that that's a deal that makes sense. 
Um, the question then becomes, if it is an 8.2 billion, or let's just say Glencore is willing to pay a little more to get it done, nine to 10 billion cash, um, that takes tech to a 5 billion plus net cash US position. Uh, what are they gonna do with that money? And it's gonna be the ultimate question once we get a closure on this. My personal preference is can still that they put both companies together completely. But who am I to tell Dr. Keevil um, what to do? Hmm. Oh, I will, yeah, I, will tell him, I will tell him to be oh. clear, but I don't think he's going to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> but TikTok, five and a half years, five and a half years, maybe um, me and the other Class B shareholders' opinions will matter a little bit more. But I think what happens there is what's tech going to do then? I mean, they obviously they'll have a huge growth pipeline. And I think that they'll probably take that cash and they'll, I'm not sure you're going to see some massive buyback. I think you're going to see there's a bunch of cash and it's going to fund QB3, QB me. You got Zafranal, you're going to have San Nicholas once the Agnico Eagle money's done. And I mean, look, you then think down the track. I mean, Galore Creek probably later this decade. I mean, that is a war chest to do some really interesting stuff if you think about the long term. But I'm a little concerned that yeah. tech is going to tech does this deal. And I think there's going to be a lot of capital that says, okay, now what? And maybe is a little disappointed, but we'll see. I think we've got to give this time. And I think who knows when this actually does get resolved uh, in terms of tech giving a, we decide to do ABC with the coal business, but to me, let's see what they do. Who knows? Non-zero chance. Touch wood, a miracle happens, and they put the businesses together completely. But yeah, um, it's been a year of deal making. Yeah, yeah, it has been a year of deal making. In fact, the general theme of twenty, you know, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three here, Koala, at least in my mind, is you know this podcast, this desk spends a, more time on the junior exploration work in equities, as you know. But it's hard to not recognize that the major producers are have been making major moves to set themselves up for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, I think this latest deal that you just mentioned between the Saudis and Valet, uh, that was a huge deal that put, a you know as you said, a, a $26 billion value on their copper and nickel unit. Saudis are coming in for 13% of that. You know, we could have a conversation about Saudi's move here as a subset, but maybe let's talk about this general theme. The Rios, the BHPs, the Glencores, the Saudis, the Valets, they are making moves. Yes. And it's and they are thinking multiple decades down the road here. Well, to quote um, Ivan Glazenberg um, from a few years ago, the cupboard is bare. Um, you've had a multi-year period, and I will sound like a broken record saying this, but balance sheets have been rapidly delevered. Um, people learn their lessons from the last cycle, um, and people don't want to chase um, non-tier one, non-world-class um, opportunities. Um, you've gone from, to use Glencore as the example, a world where they said, yeah, all these like small little mines here and there that they just, they really are great for the marketing business and the flow of concentrate and having just material to trade to now an attitude of, all right, if it's, if it, as I think I've said on Twitter before, it's, there's almost like an unspoken rule now. If this isn't 5% of our EBITDA, why are we dealing with this? 
And you've seen that with um, Vale basically paying Trafigura to take Goro in New Caledonia away from them. Um, you see it in the fact that you really don't see Coney Ambo mentioned in a Glencore presentation anymore. So let's see what they're thinking there, um, if they're still trying to believe in getting the second furnace to run or not. But management teams, they, if you're not going to be a material contributor to the business, you're really just a potential right tail, left tail risk away from being a huge problem. And so these companies now are looking out. They finally are comfortable that, I mean, look, Rio, BHP traded eight to 10 times earnings if you annualize the most recent, uh, like the multiples have kind of gotten back to, they're in some of these, BHP and Rio specifically, they're not obscenely offensive anymore for these guys. So they have the ability to think a little more now with a little less pressure on them. Um, I think it's very telling Rio and BHP aren't buying back stock. I think it's there's better uses of capital out there. But what are the Escondidas of the 21st century? Um, what are the flagship assets going to be? And we're all familiar with the Lasan curve. I mean, there's kind of... Um, I mean, not to jump around too much here, but I think Ivanhoe Mines and Kamoa Kakula are a very rare exception in that there you have a world-class district copper mine. Sure, it's in the Congo, but you got to go where the geology is. And Robert had to take that the distance. And not only did he have to take it the distance, if you think about what it took to get that thing over the line into production, where now it is just an absolute machine, um, he had to sell 9.9% at a premium in late 15 to Zijin of Ivanhoe Mines. He had to do a 50-50 joint venture on what became the Kamoka Kula joint venture land. It didn't include the Western Forelands. And if memory serves me correct, that was about a half billion dollars of cash in the door. He then had to do a 19.9% equity raise to Cidic at a premium a couple of years later. And then instead of project finance or any other mechanism, he did another 9.9 to Cidic. So if we really sit back and think about this, I've no minds is 30% owned by Cidic, 10% by Zijin. Robert has over 10% still personally, but 40% of I've no minds is owned by Chinese entities. Half of Kamoa Kakula is owned by Zijin. If we just use round numbers here, what did it take to discovering Kakula? Now, Kamoa was over a decade ago, so we've all heard his line. Uh, an overnight 22-year, 23-year success. But Kakula was discovered in 16. Today, it's one of the top five copper mines in the world, and it's probably going to be bigger than Escondida within a decade. Um, I look at that and I say, what did it take? What did it take for the most, one of the most successful entrepreneurs, communicators, and promoters to the market with a sterling track record of when he gets the tiger by a tail in a discovery and a project, he just knows how to make the most of it. What did it take for all the talk about a copper cycle and $4 and everything? What, what has the last 70, 78 years been like? He basically had to give 75% of the economics to China because they were the, that was the only capital out there. I was going to say, there was, but there was nobody there at the time. There was nobody else that was going to do it, yep. and I, I would still say that has now been mixed. Well, you, the Chinese 
potentially could do it, although there's a lot more geopolitical risk in those deals being done with the Chinese. But Saudi are starting to fill that market now as well. Yep. And we're, and it's not just mining. It's almost everything. Yep. The, every deal from resources to sports yep. the Saudis are involved in right now. It is incredible to watch. Uh, he doesn't like this joke, I don't think. But as I said, the copper ties become a green Saudi tie real fast in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. and, and rightfully so. I mean, you see, they want to put tens of billions of dollars to work in the resources sector. Um, but the reason I bring up Ivanhoe is because how rare that is today. If you find what is a BHP Rio mining house project, I don't think you get to take it the distance anymore because if they see it, you have a choice as a junior. You either say, I'm going to go through the Lasan Gerb, I'm going to go through Dante's seven circles of development hell to get to the promised land, or if you really have something that's self-evidently a compelling project, because there are so few of them, I imagine a lot of these producers are going to knock on your door and say, what if we took care of that for you? Good job finding it. Time for uh, time for you to go find the next one. I think we're starting to get back into that paradigm. And look, I mean, mm. you see that in uh, BHP, uh, hundred million into Philo uh, in February twenty-two, and they just uh, trued up again in the recent Philo race. Um, big district, lots of uh, moving parts there, but that is a Escondida scale business. It's what, it's what BHP, if you just think longer term and firewalk with me, Trevor, your BHP, the idea of sinking 10 plus billion dollars of capital for a century long district of copper um, that will generate mid-teens IRRs without assuming a crazy copper price. I mean, what's a historical US equity market returns? They're like 8%, 9%. Yeah, if you can have a 100-year IRR, 15, 13 to 15%, um, that's exactly the sort of thing BHP wants to be in, where they have the optionality of multiple cycles. And in saying that, I sound just like uh, Don Lindsay and Tech at their investor days from the last five years, where everyone says QB2 is crazy, the, uh, the NAV is bad, the IRR is mediocre, you got to believe in higher cropper prices. But this is the... Um, the option value, the extrinsic value that's in these big ore bodies. Now, OT, a good example, you got to execute on the delivery. So I come back to your explorer junior who discovers one of the next great mines. Do you want to staff up from an explorer to being a developer um, and taking on all that execution risk? Um, well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. But if the majors are not going to respect you and the value of what you've discovered, Plan B has to be real. Sure. Well, and you know, you read the book and the uh, the big score and a little bit of history about Friedland. I mean, he wasn't a mind builder until you know later in his career. Uh, and I will go back. You know, I, I, I will state as a. Uh, a citizen of Colorado, Friedland is not without his failures as well. And we've got Summitville to prove that. So, uh, you know, so it's not like his career has just been rife with nothing but success. There have been challenges 
along the way. But man, yeah. this is quite the success. It's interesting that you bring up bring that up regarding having the Chinese come in. We talked about the Saudis obviously filling some of those uh, capital needs as well. We've also there, there's a third entity here, Kual, and, I, and I'm just not. I mean, as promising as it is for export explorers and developers, I mean, you know, mind builders. I'm not quite sure if it fills more of the need for capital, and that's the, the OEMs coming in as you know, major shareholders. You know, the Stellantis's, the the car manufacturers, whatever. Obviously, they've got a lot of cash, but I don't think that they can match up to the Saudis and the Chinese. Obviously, show me when they do something real. Mm-hmm. I want to see something real. What would, what would that be? What would that be? Real would be um, when Sigma finally trades, and Anna's completely right, and she has gone through the Lasan curve. And she's now producing into a great lithium price environment to be a stickler on price. Um, do you see, as a way to get uh, material and offtake, do you see a Tesla be a part of a consortia for 10 or 20% of Sigma? Um, mm-hmm. Where do you see them? Do you see them willing to actually invest uh, materially to have security of supply? I've seen some deals with exploration companies where if I didn't know any better, I would say that this was just the one person they were friends with from the mining world. And they just were like, oh, yeah, I'll give you some money. Uh, Because just you kind of look at some of these and you're like, really? Are you sure? But so, yeah, I want to see some real. uh, The end of the day, these guys all believe that. You know, if they just say the right thing, if they say nice things, you know, the, the commies will be there. I mean, we've all been spoiled, especially in the West, by, I mean, like, look at shale oil and gas. It, it's given us cheap energy for a decade because you could have tight decline, tight curves, and oh, look at the free cash flow yield without ignoring the fact that the free cash flow yield falls off a cliff after year one because people would just throw capital at this. And didn't think about it. So you got an overcapitalized industry with cheap. So now we have cheap gas and we've had cheap oil. We, I mean, the U.S. became what? One of the biggest oil producers in the world on the back of um, cheap capital that had no basis going into these businesses. Um, and I think everyone believes, oh, there's always a fool who will try to build a new mine. And as uh, I think Doug Ramshaw said on his catch up with you last week or so. There's still is simply too many companies. Um, mm. There's too many, oh, this project, like maybe I'm just a cynic in many ways or a realist, but there's a lot of things that you got to look at. And I think I've gotten better at this over the last couple of years with some perspective and some experience to just say, no, that doesn't work. And a big thing I look at when I look at companies on the junior side is I like to look at not just my views of the asset, but look at management and ask myself, are you doing this because you want to do it? Or are you doing this because ah, you need something to do? Do you need to do it? Or do you just need something to do? Because there's a lot of folks, I mean, there's only so many senior spots at BHP Rio Anglo. Um, but there's plenty of juniors with management teams getting paid 
a uh, hundred to three hundred thousand a year salaries just to hang out and babysit a project that didn't work the last couple cycles. But if you raise a couple million bucks every year, you can keep the lights on, you can attend a couple conferences, and you can be in denial that you're effectively in retirement. Um, yeah. So I really look at that. Do 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 you feel you need to do this project, or do you just need something to do? Uh, and the hope is always just like, oh, the capital be there and Someone will always be trying to build a copper mine somewhere in the world. But I think that attitude has started to change. That's good. It's good to get that uh, perspective. You know, mentioned copper. One of the things I've been thinking about Koala is obviously we've had this incredible supply demand forecast for copper. I'm glad you mentioned copper because, and I'm almost wondering that we have a number of, you know, not a large number, but a couple, you know, tier one type copper development stories out there. The Vicuña district in San Juan province of Argentina. I mean, that whole province is just littered with good projects. Uh, there's a number happening uh, throughout South America. I mean, we've got, even in the United States, there's some really good projects as well. The Arizona uh, copper porphyry district and the trilogy up north. And, and so I'm just thinking like, so as we see these projections, is it would it take a whole lot to get those projections to maybe shrink a little bit and come back down to earth? Well, I think one of the most powerful um, things that has benefited the climate, climate change, and innovation for the environment is the fact that our parents and grandparents, uh, the miles per gallon of their cars we're probably three times better today. At least. Um, so yeah, I do think over time, you've seen a little bit of a copper bear talk pop up in the last uh, three to six months about thrifting. So maybe there's not as much copper in an EV come 2035 as there is in 2025, which I think we all accept is going to happen. Like that 10 million ton deficit, I mean, we're going to, it's not going to be that bad. Like in a world where we're looking in that direction, copper goes crazy. There will be some mines built um, and the past will sort itself out. But I mean, yeah, we, we need though on the supply side. I mean, you brought a trilogy. I mean, a road, my kingdom for a road. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have the Vicuña district where, look, I mean, you just said, what, $120 million going to Philo um, from the Lundin Group, BHP, and other investors? Um, yeah. There's a world where, I mean, like, they're going to keep drilling. They're going to keep trying to find the edges of this thing. They're going to try to understand more of the Aurora zone around Hole 41. But if the market's not going to credit more progress, like, at some point, bigger doesn't mean to the, in this market – oh, that means we can have an extra line in the eventual concentrator and the 20-year NAV just went up by 20%. At some point now, everyone goes, oh my God, this thing's a monster and it's going to require a monster bill, blah, 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 blah. Like at some point, if, you're not, if the market's not going to give you credit for incremental progress, we come back to the original question. If more, doesn't, if more resource doesn't give you credit, then it's time to make the decision. Do you run the auction? 
or do you uh, push forward into development? And I think on Vicuña, uh, you know, I I, I asked I asked uh, Jamie Bacafilo that a couple of weeks ago. What did you say? I said, well, you know, I, I asked him. I said and it was the same kind of position that Great Bear was in uh, not too long ago. Was you know they continue to drill, find great intervals, high grade stuff, but yet the the equity just was kind of in a range here. It wasn't continuing to add value to its equity. It was adding value to the project, but shareholders uh, in their bottom line uh, within on their paper was not getting value. And so it's almost to the point, like, is the market just expecting these great results? Certainly. Anymore. Have they just, you know, what's it, what's it going to take? Um, but, you know, he was, he, he said, well, we've got money to keep drilling and we're going to continue development and push the project forward. So, Yep. It said exactly that. We're adding value to the project. And whether the market rewards for every single good news release we have, it's out of our control. Yeah. But looking through these, I mean, I mean, the interesting thing about copper, to bring it maybe to a little more of a macro level, one of the more fascinating things to me is uh, Freeport has a, um, which biggest copper producer in the world. And I think everyone's gotten numb to the talk of Cadelco and how, so much capital to run in place, production numbers coming down for Cadelco. But I think one of the most interesting things about Freeport, which I am a shareholder of and have been for a while, is it's the go-to copper name. I mean, it's the most liquid copper equity in the world. Like some macro hedge fund wants to say be bullish copper. They could buy a hundred million of Freeport in a day. And if they change their mind by four o'clock, they could reverse it just as easily. Um, so it really serves as almost a copper ETF, but they have a policy that the net debt excluding the uh, some projects in Indonesia that they're project financing has to be three to four billion, no more. And they will then explore um, buying back stock and a, a dividend and a base dividend policy. And you look and copper's what? 380, 370, hit four at one point this year, flirted with 350, but they haven't bought back any stock uh, really this year. And the free cash flow isn't that phenomenal. And so Something I was talking about with a mutual friend of ours is one of the most bullish things for copper in my eyes is the fact that Freeport, which has a phenomenal set of assets outside Grassburg, Sarah Verde, great asset. The North American copper mine business doesn't pay taxes because Freeport was so stupid to go into oil and gas. So hallelujah for tax losses. But you sit there and like, okay, if these guys are not making material money, if there's a hiccup in the copper price, I'm pretty sure Freeport would rather cut back on discretionary capex outside Indonesia than print a negative free cash flow number. So you can kind of see in Freeport the reason to be excited medium term. So I sit here and I look at Freeport at $43, $44, and I ask myself the question I asked myself at 50 quite publicly a year and a half ago or a year ago, and I go, yeah, it probably's gone ahead of itself. Probably should sell, but I didn't listen to myself because I'm an idiot. And I say, well, this is the situation, and this is a really good copper portfolio of producing assets. That has to make me feel pretty good about how the rest of the decade plays out. Because if everyone's getting fat and on the profits, then eventually everyone gets lazy, does dumb stuff, but. Yeah, it makes sure you say to yourself, well, yeah, where's the where's some torque in copper? Um, where do I get excited? Because yeah, the the free cash flow just 
isn't really that phenomenal right now. To the point that, yeah, Freeport has a buyback in place, but they're not buying back stock. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, so copper is almost, I mean, as we speak, about $3.90. Are you happy with $3.90 at copper here? Happy? Yeah, I mean, are the producers happy at three? Are the producers happy at three ninety? I mean, if you're not making money at three ninety before discretionary growth capex, strategic capex, uh, you got bigger problems. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, that makes sense. Does it make sense to build a new mine at three ninety? I don't know. Mm. I mean, QB two is what, and now and QB two is going to end up now. COVID, a lot of other stuff in there, but so I, I need to set that and point that out before I say this. But the QB2 CapEx guide is now 88.2 billion. It was like 5 billion on, in the feasibility study, and the, the NAV was the NAV at three or 325 copper was a billion dollars. And it's been like five or six years, Trevor, but I'm pretty sure me and a couple of buddies at the time looked through and go, that's sustaining CapEx is way too. <laughs> right, so you right, sit there right, going right. okay so the moment this so thing has me... a hiccup the moment this thing has a hiccup it's not negative but you're gonna do it aren't you because yeah. you're tech resources aren't you it's like yep okay figure this much <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and, and that, you, you maybe not want to get into this but i do want to ask you about the the macro backdrop behind not only copper but the rest of the base metal complex. I mean, the Fed came out this month and basically said that they are going to stop doing any sort of forecasting on a recession, which basically means to me that there's a recession happening pretty soon. <laughs> if I'm a contrarian, but what does this mean? I mean, you know, what does this all mean for base metals in the base metal miners complex? Look, nickel. It seems like. The Chinese and the Indonesians are going crazy um, with HPAL down in Indonesia. I think that's the X factor. And I say that as someone who has written this year a uh, personal, very small check into a private base metals, mostly copper explorer in Central Asia and a uh, nickel, private nickel explorer in Central Asia looking for the, the next uh, great uh, nickel sulfide discovery. But yeah, I mean... It looks a little bit like the Chinese in Indonesia are doing, going to do to nickel what the Chinese did to aluminum in the last decade, where they just threw a pile of capital at it after some innovation. And the next thing you know, China has half the world's aluminum smelting capacity. So nickel has a little bit of a supply and uh, capital problem. Um, and the thing you kind of have to ask yourself is, are green premiums and ethical nickel, like is strip mining going to be okay in uh, Western cars? We'll, we'll see. Um, so let's set nickel to the side a little bit there because there's a little bit of a supply there. Copper, I mean, mm -hmm. and I'll throw iron ore and steel in here too because there was talk this morning that uh, China's going to put a hard cap on steel production in the second half. So they're going to have to really ratchet down the, uh, the, the steel production. I mean, as a friend on Twitter said, blast furnace utilization is still over 90%. So maybe the EAFs with expensive scrap are going to take it on the chin, but I've just seen for too long now, people want to call for the collapse of China, the end of 
the real estate boom, the rend of the Chinese growth model. And look, I mean, congratulations, you got paid on that in 14 and 15. But otherwise, I mean, look, I, I don't pretend to be some grand macro person. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in, uh, in investing, and I replied to a copy blog post about saying, is the US the new EM and our bond yields going to blow out? About, you know, I just don't see a better game in town than the US. And I think a good example of that is if you're in China, it's not a free flow of capital. You can't just take your money offshore. So if you can't take your money offshore and buy real estate or US real estate in Vancouver, Toronto, New York, or Apple and Google and just US stocks, um, okay, well, what are your options in a world where capital can't flow freely? I mean, you're not going to go into Chinese stocks because, well, you hear about frauds. You're, it's, they don't trust their own stock market. Let's just put it that way uh, without trying to be too humorous. Sure. Um, real estate is effectively the savings account and the bank account um, for the Chinese. And that's why real estate prices really can't go down. And it really represents the wealth of the nation. And so, look, they want cleaner air. They want cleaner steel. That means higher grade iron units. Um, you have development happening elsewhere in the world. Um, to me, I just don't feel the need to embrace the bear porn and the macro call because I think 95% of investors, professional or high net worth, deep down, if you told them, oh, you can just have a nice track record, make good money, or at some point you can have a George Soros breaking the Bank of England in a weekend, like big win. People want that George Soros big macro win. The, uh, the, grand, the, the great financial crisis, I was short uh, mortgage bonds. That, that just leads to this incredible one-way six-month trade and listen being on side and long something that multi-bags in basically a straight line over multiple months or quarters oh it's euphoric and being short something that crashes 90 percent in a straight line it's euphoric but there's maybe only two times in my career personally and professionally where I put on the right trade at the right time out of all the possible trades I could have done and was fortunate enough to have something like that happen. Um, you can't go chasing that. You can't go chasing that high. If it happens, it happens. Great. But to me, I don't see China blowing up anytime soon. And more importantly, as I look at these names, Trevor, None of these companies are levered up anymore where the free cash flow and the earnings power for the next 12 or 24 months determines the fate of the equity. Oh my God, we have a bad six or 12 months and the money's in there. All these companies have, have with the exception of the coal companies, because, well, we'll save that for another time. Uh, all these companies could easily go to their banks and get a couple billion or one turn of EBITDA in incremental debt capacity and liquidity. So yeah. I don't really worry I, about the next six to 12 months. 
I worry more about what's the average price of these commodities going to be over the next three to five, 10 years, because I have the duration now as an equity holder to think about that, because if the world has a 14, 15, like China hiccup, my equity isn't imperiled. I'm glad you mentioned kind of that mentality of the investor lately. I mean, and I kept on thinking about everybody wanting that Michael Burry moment, a great financial crisis. Um, yeah, you saw in the big short, you know, and, and it also kind of made me think as you were talking there, Koala, uh, I was thinking in the back of my head and just recently, and maybe this is more, a little bit more anecdotal and, and let's maybe let's not talk so much about China because neither of us are China experts, but we obviously have our thoughts and opinions, but let's talk more about the West and the United States. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the uh, Mount Rushmore national uh, memorial. And, and I, you know, that was the second time in my life I'd been there. Um, it was one of those things to where I watched the video of how Mount Rushmore was sculpted and built. Right. And I remember walking out of there and I told my wife, I was like, it's amazing at one time, uh, we actually did, we had grand ideas here in this country and actually followed through with them as long as it took. We had a grand idea and we saw through with it. Uh, just last night I watched the new Oppenheimer movie and I know, uh, it's, it, there's no metaphor between Mount Rushmore and the and development of the atomic bomb, but it also come back to me where we would put energy and resources into big ideas, whether they're necessary or not, and see through with it and put the smartest people in there and put trust in those people. And I just don't know if we're there yet. Where the mentality right now is you put more trust in people behind markets, behind companies that just produce algorithms or software interfaces, and that made a bunch of money in technology. But when it comes to big, grand things that actually physically exist in this country, we've lost that, we've lost that idea that we'd rather put more energy into a technology that we that is that puts a consumer in front of it and pulls data from the consumer rather than actually building things that let this country physically work. I mean, come on, can a 75-year-old or an 80-year-old really think beyond the next 5 to 10 years? Um can a, but, but, can people but think used, beyond the next we used uh, to. news cycle, we used let alone to. election cycle? Can, can, can they... Yo, we, we absolutely, is it because we're just so inundated with media coming in all angles that we lose it? Yes. So I think one of the things is, remember, is that these things actually require real um, effort. I mean, these things take a long time. And that's what, I mean, one day, one day the, the multiples will go back to reflect yeah. that. All right, big big thinking ideas here. I I promised everybody they want to know your thoughts here on lithium, and I know you've got some things to get off your chest here. We kind of briefly mentioned it before. Uh, there's some interesting news yeah. out of lithium uh, lately. Apple Marl uh, has had uh, some big uh, growth projections. Uh, Rio Tinto stepping into the lithium space here. Um, you know, what, how are you watching this? Like what, you know, I guess 
It's 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 a big book here. So what do you want to you know? What are the cliff notes of what you're watching? Well, look, I would say that um, not that humility has ever been my strong suit, but I've still waited to see a research report that explains that lithium is the new iron ore better than what I wrote last year, uh, just to organize some thoughts. And look, you can see the conversations around. I mean, there's rumors today again about Sigma, um, in that the Saudis who, I don't know, just wrote a pretty big check into Brazil today. Um, China, Mali, CMOC, um, are looking at it. Um, and at the end of the day, Albemarle wants to basically triple their uh, refining capacity mm-hmm. um, by 2030. Um, Rio uh, is, try- is looking at trying to build Rincon, which would be a DLE brine thing down in uh, Argentina and is trying to get their permit back for Yadar in Serbia. The whole thing here with the with the iron ore metaphor, which I've been talking about, is there is truly uh, there's pegmatites all over the place. There's got to be like fifty or sixty juniors running around Canada looking uh, for pegmatites in light of some recent uh, world class discovery. Ease. <laughs> um, with that said, um, it's always worth interesting to note that there's only one producing. Uh, lithium mine in Canada and there's been far more failures in the terms of Damascus fell over and North American lithium which is currently being ramped by Sayona uh, has failed twice um, it's not just enough to find a pegmatite with lithium you have to find something of scale quality grade and metallurgy that you can deliver a product and also more importantly these hydroxide refineries for lithium are super sensitive. Um, like, it's the same way the steel mills want Pilbara blend fines or they want IOCJ from Bali. They want a consistent iron ore blend that they know will behave in their furnaces. And compared to steel mills, hydro- lithium hydroxide refineries are like the most high-maintenance girlfriend you possibly could have. So... In that sense, what they actually want when you're thinking about hydroxide refinery is they want to have a single consistent feedstock that they know they can rely on for multiple decades. 10, 20 million tons doesn't really do it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're the Chinese and you're just chasing lithium units which way everywhere, uh, all over Africa, then yeah, but that's not how we're doing things in the West. So I think the whole thing now about lithium is everyone first says, oh, there's so many companies. Well, yeah, but find me the things that are truly world-class in hard rock lithium. Find me a hundred plus million tons of one plus percent. And then if you can find me one of those that has the potential to have replicate that success on their land package even better. After all, Monono in the DRC isn't one deposit. It's a set of about three deposits that make up the hundreds of millions of tons of lithium there. Um, Now, with that said, um, no matter what the battery chemistry is, we need lithium. Um, And brines take time. DLE is the holy grail that everyone holds up. And to me, I say about DLE, 
it reminds me of HPAL, high pressure acid leach for nickel, which we talked about earlier. The Chinese are grooving now in Indonesia with those, but I only refer you back to Anaconda Nickel, which was before Fortescue, Twiggy Forest disaster with Murrin Murrin, where the HPAL didn't work. Um, and I once talked to Glencore, who now owns Murrin Murrin, and it's running and it's in the nickel business. And I recall being told, listen, if a valve breaks, that's <laughs> like, we got to stop things for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you could think about Ravensthorpe, which is now a first quantum project, but used to be a BHP project. And as it was explained to me, the reason BHP couldn't make it work is because they were putting limonite and saprolite through at the same time. Uh, these are sensitive things. So first of all, show me DLE actually working at a commercial project. And then show me that DLE isn't a project-by-project chemistry problem. I mean, once you figure out how to build and run a copper porphyry with big trucks and crushing and floating, that was very applicable across the Andes. But that is not a production method and a thought process. This is a chemistry problem that could be very different ore body to ore body. So one day it will hopefully be solved. Innovation is a critical part of scaling up uh, commodity demand and satisfying it. But with that said, um, you go to Hard Rock, you need scale. So what's Pilbara today? It's a 10 billion Aussie with 3 billion of cash. So it's a 7 billion enterprise value. Uh, Sigma today at 40 is a $4 billion com US company producing, ramping up. Um, but the question that I get asked a ton about is, um, what's the deal with Corvette? Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, it's no secret that I invested in Patriot in a personal capacity in late 2021. And I sized up that investment in the first quarter of 22, um, as the drilling results started to pan out. And, um, this... This year, I've been a little more vocal about it. And look, I think there's a couple factors here. As the company put out a news release this week saying that exploration can restart again and reiterated the maiden resource estimate for CV5 corridor will be coming out by the end of July. So Monday should be interesting. Mm -hmm. And look, I think there's been a lot of speculation about this. I think there's questions. There's been a short report saying there's no way that the broker's estimates of a hundred plus million ton, 1% can be achieved. I think we have to see what it is, but look, I think you have in, you wouldn't have someone like Ken Brinson as the chairman who built Pilbara into what it is before leaving last summer um, without thinking that this is not going to be thought through with the best practices and the best thinking. Um, I think you look at this and say, first of all, like Great Bear, the market has acknowledged um, how impressive Corvette is. Has it, has it acknowledged it enough? No, I don't think so. But you got to acknowledge the respect that's been given. Mm -hmm. So with that said, a little like Great Bear, what, is there even necessarily a need to do a resource? Well, for development... And permitting, yes, eventually you have to do a resource. But it's really at the company's choice when you have a world-class project like this, when you actually want to put a resource on the table. And 
look, I think it's going to be over 100. I think it's going to be over 1% grade. I think the Nova Zone certainly will uh, make the grade look nice. I think that it's going to be conservative too. And I think the reason I would say it's conservative is um, in NI43-101, you have to do a pit-constrained resource. And I look at how it's been drilled, and it's kind of effectively been two lines, if you will. So we don't really know how deep this main pegmatite goes. Um, so with that said, though, at a certain point, you just can't say, oh, let's make the pit deeper. Mm-hmm. So let's see what the resource comes out at. I'm very excited for it. Um, I'm very excited to see what CV13, the pegmatite cluster they discovered last summer, looks like. And memory serves me correct, the guidance is that late this year, early next year, we'll get a resource on CV13. Um, and I'm really curious to see what else is out there. I mean, CV9 is an absolutely massive outcrop that's never been drilled. I mean, there's just a... It's just a plethora of opportunity along this greenstone belt in this... I mean, what's the number they use? 50 kilometers of strike. Um, and it's open in every... And CV5 is open in each direction. CV13 is open. Um, and CV9 has never been drilled. And CV12 has one hole in it. So... I should, I, There's a lot more I to there, be. and I, the reason I bring that up, though, is and CV13 up is because another big thing about this is when you have coarse-grained spodumene um, and you have these big crystals, um, you can still get very good recoveries with just a DMS circuit. You don't have to then float, do flotation mm. to recover enough lithium. Um, Sigma announced their first shipment. Uh, last week, this past week, and they're a DMS circuit. It's ramped very nicely. Core lithium has flotation, and we had an absolute train wreck of an update recently. Um, A simpler flow sheet is less risky. Uh, You don't want engineers excited by the complexity. You want them bored to tears of, all right, we know how to do this, done this a million times. Right. And so I think it's very important to, before this uh, short report came out in the past month uh, on Patriot, which I think is absolutely ridiculous, um, I did take, I did get, get a good laugh out the fact that they want to talk about the Patriot chair previously, not that he built Pilbara into what it is, but that he ran Atlas Iron, uh, which didn't work out. And yet I recall Atlas Iron had a project called Wajina and Atlas Iron uh, got taken out by Mineral Resources, Minrez, and uh, Minrez has a uh, lithium mine now called Wajida. So uh, it's funny how that all worked out. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I look at this thing, and before that short report came out, there was preliminary metallurgy on CB13 that said it too is amenable to a simple DMS circuit, which means that CB5 material and CB13 material could go through the same plant. Uh, I think that is just so underappreciated here, that a DMS is such a simpler flow sheet. And I think that strategically people are going to pay attention to that because, you know, Sabanye went into Rhyolite Ridge and a small little thing in Finland, and I've given Neil Froneman a lot of grief for this because I've never seen someone nail 
a major move in the spot price of Kamaya, the way he did in PGMs when buying Stillwater and Impala, or lithium in those investments from 2021, and yet buy the wrong assets completely. It, it's, it's almost a gift. Um, but I look at that and I say, if take Rio, for example, who I got comfortable investing in Patriot when it was first presented to me, because in October of 2021, at the Rio Investor Day, they had a slide out there that said, we're going to need 60 ADRs to achieve net zero in terms of lithium demand. And they bought Rincon, which hasn't exactly worked out. Now, lithium's run very hard. People are a little more aware. And to buy a world-class discovery in lithium is going to cost billions and billions of dollars. So if you're going to do billions and billions of dollars out the door for the privilege of developing an asset, you want a simple flow sheet. I think that is completely something that needs to be appreciated. So I look at all this. This is Patriot's my biggest position. Um, I'm very excited to see now that thankfully the wildfires have calmed down a little bit. I'm really excited to see what the team can do. But it also sits there in kind of the philo bucket, which is if the market is not going to give credit for progress and value added to the project, well, then it's time to have the discussion about plan A or plan B. And I give the company a lot of credit. They've already lined out the timelines to permitting, production, and their vision for going down the independent route. Because you don't let a project like this go for lower than fair value. Uh, Koala, I think uh, our time has come. We must depart. And I will say a little programming note. Uh, there's a pretty good chance that this will not be published to MSD listeners and, until after that resource estimate's published from Patriot. So we will see. Um, well, we'll see how it comes out. Hopefully the, hopefully the company doesn't make me look like an idiot in the eucalyptus tree. Well, only you can That'll do be that. Fun. Only you can do that, Koala. And you've never done that. So let's not, yeah, let's not start there's a first time for <laughs> There's a first time for everything. I mean... I will just say, listen, people have also seen me talk about recently Thor Exploration, which is a gold producer in Nigeria that's exploring for lithium. Uh, I will just say outside of Patriot and Sigma, that's my one lithium position right now. Um, Now Niger to the north just had a coup. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be very clear for some of the things that I've said here about Patriot and hundreds and hundred million tons, the potential of... 13 and 9 everything else um thor is very early days we need to see the original lit the initial lithium assays um hopefully sometime in august and what i find appealing about that since we talked about lithium is that i think the gold production today effectively covers the enterprise value or 70 to 80 percent of it and it's a free call option or close to a free call option on success with this lithium uh, exploration. But let's see. Um, It's always good to chat. I'm sorry we lost about 10 minutes there with that. uh, Technical difficulties. All that crazy mayhem. It's okay. It's okay. We got a lot lot out of this. We got, uh, we did copper. We talked about Vale. We talked about tech. Talked about lithium, Vicuña. And building big things. 
talked about yes. that too. All right. Koala, my friend, have yourself a great week. Let's do this again soon. Appreciate you. I know all of our listeners love these conversations. It was fun. You just had to go out there and look for ideas on Twitter about what we were going to talk about. And all of a sudden, my alarms went off. On uh, It's still Twitter, by the way. Right, Koala? It's still Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't know. I don't think this was my best work. Um, I think I got thrown off a little bit by the difficulties. But look, um, it's fun to just uh, sit around, chat, and uh, look, next week will be fun. And uh, who knows? We'll see uh, as I start to go on my uh, world tour soon. That's right. See a lot more people. All right. We'll be following you. All right, Koala. Have yourself a great weekend, my friend. Thanks so much. Cheers, Trevor. As uh, Lee Corso might say, not so fast, my friend, because uh, Koala's back here. We've got uh, part two. We're going to roll into this, and for a good reason. Uh, Koala, we had recorded this almost a week ago, but here's the thing about recording a podcast, especially when news happens quickly, is that you can think you've got this in the bag and can hold on to it for a few days, but in all likelihood, things can really change. And that's exactly what basically happened with Patriot Battery Metals this week. And so before we actually launched my original conversation, you and I got together like we have got to come back and address a couple of things, specifically with their maiden resource estimate and then with subsequent news that happened later in the afternoon. Has something material happened? Has a little has bit. something important happened? Uh, well, what they say, the headline was, um, largest lithium pegmatite resource in the Americas just in CV5. Uh, Koala, that headline alone, it'd be, not even before you get to the numbers, you better be able to back it up. You think it did? Yeah. I mean, you sit there and you say, I thought one of the more interesting things is the, I thought it was a very comprehensive news release. Um, I think we definitely have to notice that it's pit constrained. There's definitely some more drilling that needs to be done. Um, the same way climate change is pushing net zero and EVs and lithium-ion batteries, climate change also means that it looks like it would have been nice if the ice had been thick enough this winter to drill a few holes um, to bring some more stuff into the classification. But it is what it is. Um, I thought it was also very interesting that 93% of this maiden resource sits in one primary pegmatite dike. So right. I sit here in the eucalyptus tree and I go, that one dike might be one of the most prolific pegmatite dikes ever in the world. I mean, a lot of the, and Monono is multiple deposit, is multiple uh, clusters, deposits. Uh, Greenbushes, I won't speak to, um, but it's been mined for a while. Uh, but that one dike alone, I mean, is over 100 million tons. I mean, that, or close enough. I mean, that's, yeah. that says something. Uh, just yeah. Um, yeah, quite the uh, quite the way to walk the walk. <laughs> well, I, people I, people understand here that like I I am on vacation, but there ain't enough of Rhode Island beaches or Block Island mudslides to keep me away from this conversation with you, Koala. Because listen, I think you said over a hundred million tons and over one percent lithium needed to be met. Well, it was obviously. Mm -hmm. But then here's the subsequent news. Albemarle comes in with a huge investment north of $100 million Canadian strategic investment 
you know, it was what was interesting is that we actually aired an update with Patriot Battery Metals shortly after the mineral resource estimate was announced, but before the strategic investment was announced. So Albemarle comes in. I mean, this is obviously significant, but it's, it's not like the market's absolutely rewarding them quite yet about this. It's it's kind of a shame because why do people care what a marsupial thinks about this project anymore? Um, we just had the largest lithium producer in the world um, have an opinion. And uh, in a world where, oh, the Pulp Fiction line, you come on, you got to have an opinion. Well, we now know. Um, and look, it, it's validation. Um as I've touched on with a couple other folks when like, oh, where's the reaction? Okay, uh, maybe, I mean, look, it's been publicly and media speculated on that MinRes, MRL, Chris Ellison's outfit out of Australia and that Pilbara Minerals uh, over the course this year have been buying on market. Maybe someone's having a little bit of a fit, but you don't make real money by being emotional when you miss out on things or one of your competitors joins the dance. Um, but simply put here, um, in a world where I think people are emotional here because of some of the initial shareholders who had the vision back in late 2021 to invest and back uh, the drill, the initial drilling campaigns, um, I think there's some emotion and people seem to be ignoring the fact that the fundamentals have now won out. And on that uh, hot, crazy uh, gif that I've been using recently, we're well above the line now. And Albemarle doesn't really care uh, who the initial shareholders are. What Albemarle cares about is they're going to triple lithium refining capacity by 2030, and they're probably going to try to double it after that. And where are they going to get the feed? Um, these hydroxide facilities are difficult to build. Very few groups actually know how to do them. And even those that do struggle to keep them on budget. Um, so where are you going to get the feed and where is there going to be a consistent feed for multiple decades that's reliable that can anchor a facility? Um, are you really going to move WA spodumene concentrate all the way around to the Atlantic Basin? Are you going to get an approval for King Mountain to restart that? Which if you think about what King Mountain is right by one of Albemarle's small hydroxide facilities in Carolina, it's a pit that's now filled with water with a walking path that the local community can use for hikes and nature walks very close to the existing pit, uh, but safely away, of course. And you just sit there and go, okay, so an existing open pit that will have to be drained of water, it's gonna have to get community and permitting approval. Um, and I mean, look, it's, doesn't I, I, you look at the pictures from when Bloomberg toured it? It's you don't see these big hundred meter uh, white blocks of pegmatite in the pit wall. Right. Um, but the reason I bring that up is Albemarle looks at everything, they see everything, they are shown everything, and they don't throw checks around willy nilly. They're not taking ten percent here, twenty percent there, um, trying to do everything. They are. They are very methodical, and I think this uh, sends a very strong message. Simple as that. I, I mean, look. So, Kuala, let's 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 maybe wrap up with something 
I guess maybe muddy the waters a little bit and see if there's an actionable item in here because I, we know that you own shares. You mentioned that in the original conversation. I do not own any shares. I actually sold on one of those big run-ups and have not owned shares in Patriot for I've, I've a few months now. But given the market reaction here on these last two news items, it almost seems like there's probably a good opportunity here. And there's probably a lot of, you know, the street itself right now is kind of hanging on a cliff because everything's so overvalued and a lot of people are going to some, you know, taking some risk off the table, it seems this week as I watch here from vacation. But, you know, it does kind of appear to me that given the last two news items from Patriot Battery Metals, I mean, is this a pretty decent entry point? Should you be scared about the moves it has had in the in the past? Everyone's entitled, everyone's entitled to their own opinions and should make their own decisions. Um, I think what this news is telling us is maybe there's folks who feel like this is the end of the exploration story and we now know how big it is with no acknowledgement of yeah. CV-13 or the potential to drill either the CV-12 cluster or the CV-9 cluster, which my personal opinion, the CV-9 cluster, if that was in its own junior, uh, everyone would be drooling over that prospect. Um, so we need to understand more from the company now what the plan is now that the drills are turning again. Obviously, there's more to do at CV-5. A maiden resource at CV-13 in the first half of 24. But are we going to get some holes into CV-12 or into CV-9 that shows there's not just the CV-5 and CV-13. There's more here. Um, but I think the other big thing to stand out here is as part of this deal with Albemarle, Albemarle has a nine-month non-binding MOU with Patriot to explore a hydroxide facility that would be linked to Corvette. Um, and I think we talked about tier one assets, world-class assets before, which is um, when these projects get married, they only get married once. And maybe there's some big mining companies out there that thought, oh, I'll wait for the permit or I'll wait for the pre-feasibility study. I'll wait for the feasibility. I'll wait for the Lasan curve to kick in. But when a beautiful, a beautiful girl <laughs> walks into a bar <laughs> and someone approaches her, well, the game is afoot. And I think that that nine month MOU uh, kind of lays out the timeline without doing so. And I think one of the reasons, and I'm purely speculating here, Albemarle is okay with that is one, their real interest is in having the feed for the hydroxide facility. I imagine Albemarle would be very open to partnering with mining partners um, on the mining side of the equation. Um, and look, I think it's quite clear if uh, no one, if, if, you are going to see, I think it's time to see the interest flows. So it'll yeah. be very interesting to just see what happens in the next nine to 12 months. Um, now that this is there, this gives me, as I've said before publicly, this gives me shades of Boise's Bay and tech, um, where tech put a invested directly into Diamond Fields and did a management voting support arrangement so that Robert could vote the tech shares as he saw fit. And that gave, uh, that gave Robert and Diamond Fields the runway to explore even harder and faster and make sure that Diamond Fields had maximum leverage 
when it was time for the final dance. And let's see how this goes. Yep. Yep. All right. There we go. That's a, that's officially a wrap here, Koala. Sorry this took so long. Uh, just a real quick programming note. With the podcast, for everybody listening, the podcast will be going out before the video just because everybody's on vacation. It's August. What video? <laughs> what video? <laughs> so, uh, Koala, thanks for doing this. Sorry it took a little while, but, you know, I'm glad we kind of followed back through with this. And, again, have yourself a great, great week. And it sounds like uh, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of updates coming from the eucalyptus tree. It's going to be fun, Trevor. Enjoy the rest of yours. All right. All right. Thanks, Take everybody. Uh, again, uh, apologies for kind of the, uh, the, the second go at this. We'll be back. I'll be back next week, ready to go with the morning briefing on Monday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy. Be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.